It is a week before Thanksgiving in New York City, 2020, and the coronavirus is ravaging our nation. Over a quarter million Americans have died, and this disease is not done with us yet. Those who refused all summer are starting to don life-saving masks, but many in this merry old land of Osmerica are, while they die of COVID, continue to deny it even exists. And it turns out that many of those who survive are not done with the infection, as there are a great variety of serious long-term health outcomes. Today, we will be talking with scientist Nathan Lentz about the long haulers, those who have been infected but remain ill long after the initial sickness. We are at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, up on the second floor, across the street from the mortuary, and down several blocks from Central Park, where there is a new statue of three pioneers of women's rights, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Sojourner Truth. And with that bit of intro, here we go. Nathan H. Lentz is professor of biology and director of the Macaulay Honors College at John Jay College. He is the author of Human Errors, a Panorama of Our Glitches, From Pointless Bones to Broken Genes, published in 2018. And he maintains the Human Evolution blog and writes for Psychology Today under the tagline, Beastly Behavior, How Evolution Shaped Our Minds and Bodies. Nathan, welcome to BCR and Get Parts. It's so wonderful to be able to buy you a beer at a bar. Yeah, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's a delicious beer. What, what, did you, do you remember what you got? Oh, I know. You got the um, Big Alice. Yes, the Big Alice Queensbridge IPA. And I have the, lo- I have the Long Island City Higher Burnin IPA. Oh, great. So it's Some really two good. Two Queens beers rec- there we representing. Go. <laughs> and I have friends that live in Queensbridge, so it's, it's uh, very appropriate. Yeah, it, it, it's, I don't, I don't it's know really what good. mine is. I, I just asked for something. I said I'm a panty waste when it comes to beer. I don't like yeah. any. I, yeah, let me taste it. said just taste. something that tastes... I didn't say Coors or Buds, but I oh, it's not bad. felt it's like not bad. saying that. Like it's a Pilsner kind of... Yeah, like a, like, yes, like a exactly. Pilsner. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Cool. Great having you. Great seeing you. Great, Great to be back. And we probably won't be able to do this again for a while. So I'm we'll glad. see. We'll see. I mean, it's uh, the indicators aren't good, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah. So this would be our third conversation with you. We spoke in August outside of, on West End Avenue about your bout with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and the extreme dangers of the disease pandemic. And I learned a lot and I passed it on. You know, I was like religious about the mask. Uh-huh. I said, this can stop COVID, guys, because yeah. I'm a teacher. So I'm like, you've got to keep it on. And my my yeah. sister keeps talking about that podcast. I don't think she's listened to anything else we've done. Oh, that's funny. But she, she refers to the Nathan Lentz podcast. Oh, that's high praise. Thank you very much. <laughs> Tell mean, her I said thank you. Because she had COVID, so. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. You said it in the email. That's right. How's she doing? She seems to be doing all right. I think um, she had a relatively light yeah. version, but most, still. Most people do have a fairly mild case, and that's that's great for them. Yes, right, <laughs> right, right. We're really worried about the the most vulnerable, but at the same time, who, we never know who's going to have a serious case. I mean, you can kind of predict it, but kind of not, so. Right. So we're, we're up here at Gephardt's Loft. There's there's no one else here with us. Mm-hmm. Is this, and we're about five, six feet apart. Do you think this is a five. good gathering? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, 
what you it's kind of like automobile safety where you have like seat belts and crumple zones and air but you, you kind of add up as many features as you can to create a safe environment right. so so for our thanksgiving gathering that we're going to have next week we have very small numbers first of all so we're, we're going to keep the numbers low we're going to be running our ceiling fans we're going to open the windows if it's not too cold and we're going to be running our heaters on high fan so you keep the air circulating you spread out as much as you can you wear your mask when you're not eating or drinking you just sort of do as much as you can and if everybody sort of did that you're not relying on any one thing to be perfect it's kind of this additive effect right right um, so are we safe here? Yeah, I think we're probably as safe as we can be indoors. The best thing is to be outdoors. Yes. And that's why um, the numbers are killing us right now is because you can't be outside anymore. And most right. of North America, it's cold. Right. So we go back inside and it's hitting the Midwest and the Plain States right on schedule, frankly. I, I hate to, to put it that way, but all of us were predicting that in the spring and the summer that, you know, October, November is, is when the rubber hits the road on this thing. And here we are. Do you think we're doing any better than other states? New York is. Yeah. Um, but that's that's an artifact somewhat of how bad we had it in March and April. So a lot of the most vulnerable were taken from us or have moved or are in highly secure nursing home environments, which were incredibly insecure at the time. Um, and now they've been sort of resecured. And so we've sort of done enough here that we're not going to get that kind of outbreak like we had in April. Oh, I hope not. God willing. Yeah. But in um, other states, you know, they, they chose to watch us go through it and not learn the lesson. Um, but they also have the disadvantage of it's been spreading horizontally all this time. I think I talked about this on the last podcast where it's sort of quietly person to person spreading out so that then when it explodes, it explodes from a million focal points rather than just a few like we had it because it was new think, to the country. Do you think that if those um, people in some states had worn masks, had been more willing to wear masks, that we wouldn't see such a bad spike right now? It wouldn't be as bad for sure. Um, whether or not this was somewhat unavoidable um, is a matter for debate, and I think that public health scientists will be studying that for some time. Fortunately, the vaccine comes on board soon, and we don't have to run this natural experiment again next year. Um, the, the, the vaccine, so far, the early data is incredibly encouraging. Um, you don't really see data that encouraging um, on a first first go. So and we uh, will want to ask you about the yeah, vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Right. So hopefully next winter we won't be doing this again. But um, you know, by the summer, you know, next summer hopefully we'll be back to normal. So That's, your kids are home. Are they? How are they handling that? Um, well, we have been remote schooling all along. Oh, uh, our kids' school. They oh. never bothered even trying to go in in person, and now we see the wisdom of it because there's been no disruption. My kids are okay. They're fairly resilient. Kids are, in general, adaptable and resilient. Um, it's harder on us than it is on the kids, the isolation. But they, um, they're showing signs of, of social isolation, you know, the effects of not being able to socialize as normally. Um, but they're okay. You know, luckily, um, you know, I, I think the second lockdown, if, it, if, we really gonna, if we're going to start calling it that, uh, will be easier on all of us than the first one because we know what to do. And our essential, excuse me, our essential services have learned how to deliver those services um you know it was our first time in in march and we didn't know how to do it and i think we all do now and i mean that from a practical point of view but even a psychological point of view you know there's not as much uncertainty about what life is going to be like in a quarantine setting back in april you mm -hmm. spoke with the texas podcaster mm -hmm. um, about the pandemic and you spoke about the two actions that are needed before opening up to the society, two kind of simple actions. The first was that there needed to be effective testing and mm -hmm. contact tracing. And then the second was this, and this is uh, some sound from that 
from that podcast. But the second thing that you need is you need to be firmly on the downward slope of new infections, of daily new infections. You need to be not just flat, but firmly on the down slope. If you have that plus testing, um, then you can start to slowly open up. Uh, in 1918, they, start, they eased the social restrictions too early. And the second wave of influenza in 1918 was worse than the first wave. More people died in the fall than in the spring because they just got tired of the restrictions. And so they removed them because they were tired of them rather than it being the right time. There is a right time to do it, but you have to let the science and the virus set the timetable, not, not our uneasiness. So you seem very prescient. <laughs> at, at, right? At that, Deja right? all over again. Right. right? So, so n- n- now we're in the fall and there is this kick that we've had. I was just reading in North Dakota. It's really bad. It's really bad. I mean, I was getting like scared just reading what was going on. They're like yeah. 15%. It's like everyone they're testing has it. Yeah. My question is this, you're, 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 you study genetics. And um, I just wonder if this is a genetic flaw in the human genome. I mean, do we have this lemming behavior in which, you know, there's the cliff, let's go run for it. <laughs> um, well, I actually write a little bit about this uh, in my book in the sense that we are very bad long-term planners as a species. We've never really thought more than a generation ahead, if that. Um, so short-term gains have, have always been, um, you know, fairly uh, successful strategies to pursue, pursue short-term gains. And that has been accelerated by our cultural factors now. Even our financial systems now don't even care about planning years in advance. It's all about short-term gains now. So, so we're fucked. I mean, global, yeah, global warming I, is long-term yeah. planning. Exactly. And, 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 and that explains why we are facing what we're facing is that everyone knows the science is there. And in fact, even the solutions are there. We just don't want to do it. And with these, the, the question though, and I think it is a fair question to ask is, would we be in where we are now um, if we had been more aggressive, less aggressive? Like, was this inevitable? I guess yeah. is the question. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. It seems like to a certain degree, it probably was. Um, at, to this degree, maybe not. Could we have completely eliminated it back in March, April, May? I don't think so. I don't think we could have ever. Even if we had all worn masks, I mean, everyone, including the president. Yeah. And we had tested and we had done contact and we had done all the things you talked about that you're going to take care mm-hmm. of in Thanksgiving. Yeah. But wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Haven't they gotten rid of it in Korea and, and yes. China? So and New Zealand and Taiwan. And there are some, some real success stories out there. They've been able to effectively isolate. They are. They're also islands. Mm. Like most of the places where it's completely gone Manhattan are is an island. Of course, we're doing well, right? <laughs> right, with a lot of bridges. The, the problem is that, um, you know, it's like you can't have a smoking section in a restaurant, right? And so there's so much interstate travel and international travel. There's, we're, we're, we are a, a species on the move. And Taiwan, one thing that's not... I have friends who lived through there. They've now relocated, but they lived through the whole period there. Um, they completely shut the island off to human traffic. Um, of course, cargo, the shipments and things like that. And so one case, you know, spread to a few and then they clamped it all down. But they also have a mask culture yes. and they also have contact tracing as just part of what they do because they're so used to having these epidemics more regularly. Here, contact tracing and testing strategy is completely state by state, which is a terrible way to fight it, uh, right. an, a pandemic. Um, if we had had central leadership on uh, testing strategy and contact tracing, we might very well be in a very different position. Would we have some kind of surge right now? Probably. But the height of that, which is what, I mean, that's where you find all the deaths is when you get, you get that peak too high. Um, because the, the hospitals are overloaded in the Midwest. And more importantly, the staff is completely maxed out. In fact, there's a state, I want to say Iowa, but in case I'm wrong, let me say, I'm not sure which state it is. But there's a state that are allowing nurses 
to continue working if they are COVID positive. They're COVID positive and they right. continue working because they can't spare them. Right. And doctors too, I heard. <laughs> yes. 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 They can't spare them. So the, the healthcare system is completely overloaded, not here in New York, but in other states. So um, the, the second surge was probably inevitable in the United States anyway, in Europe, but it, wouldn't, it didn't have to be as bad as it's going to be. And we, if we had just been able to get ourselves to the vaccine stage, which is, which is upon us, hopefully, we might, have, we might have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get political, but uh, I am. It yeah. seems like the, this president was like the worst choice for this particular moment. It's hard to imagine anything going more poorly at the federal level. Exactly. It's really hard to imagine. I mean, the, even the CDC, which normally is, is a, a really great institution, has just been completely gutted in their authorities. And uh, I mean, they make recommendations. They're usually behind the curve now. And they didn't used to be. Right, right, <laughs> So right. the CDC's playing catch-up. Everybody's playing catch-up uh, centrally. And there are some states who are doing it better, but the states don't have the infrastructure to do this. Um, they're doing the best they can. You know, I, um, Barbara has a friend whose sister... My, my sister. ...works mm-hmm. for... Yeah, Alan's sister. Works for the CDC. She's pretty high up. Mm-hmm. Like second or, you know, whatever. She's kind of like considered almost like an admiral in the She's the world. one that wears the scarf all the time. Oh, is that the one? You see her on TV? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. that, I didn't know that was her. Wow. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, and she's been very demoralized by this whole... Yeah, I bet. You know, just... She's been stifled and... Yeah. I mean, yeah, they play politics with this from, from day one. And, um, you know, and, and I'd like to say, you know, the, the left might have handled it better because they're more socially minded in general and more, you know, believe in central structures more than the right does. But, I, you know, you don't know. Um, because right now our political system is so broken and so big on blaming the other and all of that that I, I, I'd love to, to think that the left would have handled this better, but I, I'm not sure if they would have uh, because they would have been so worried about the election as well. Because I think that's why Donald Trump and others didn't do anything is they were afraid of hurting the economy because that was the thing they were going to run on because mm. the stock market was so high and all of that. And they weren't able to run on that. And they right. were they were protecting. So, again, short-term gains was yeah. all they were pursuing. So we, we had a little political punditry here along with the scientific. Yeah, I, uh, exactly. That's the only thing I can think of. It's the only thing that makes any sense because that's what the thing is. If he had it to do over again, Trump could have been the hero in all of this. Absolutely. Right. That he could have had something in his he column. He had an opportunity. He that would even the scientists would have credited him for. If he had for, handled but, this in any way different than he had <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't have taken much he would yeah. definitely be reelected. so let's but get back to what yeah, this so today we wanted to ask you we want to narrow the, yeah. the focus on two new outcomes that um, are the you know the most of this most strange viral disease mm-hmm. the long hauler phenomenon mm-hmm. and the new approach to creating a vaccine right well which one do you even talk about first you want to talk about the long hauler sure, yeah. sure so there's I think in my mind there's two reasons why this is has a long haul feature to it more than say influenza does. One is that what we're seeing is this attacks a lot more than just the respiratory system. It's really a blood vessel disease and it attacks the respiratory system because that's where it enters and because there are a lot of blood vessels there. But there's blood vessels everywhere in your body. And so what we're noticing is that um, you, you have digestive systems, you have even cardiac sim- symptoms. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but did you know that my uncle passed away from COVID? No. In uh, no, April. Sorry to hear that. Oh, um, no. Yeah, and he, but he died of a heart attack. So mm. he had COVID and he actually cleared the COVID and he was out of the ICU and out of the COVID ward for the last two weeks of his life, which was a, a mercy in the sense that his family could be with him. He was no longer contagious. But the damage to his heart had been done and he, it was, he didn't have many ticks left in his heart. Um, and so uh, that's what we're finding now is that it affects so many more systems than just respiratory. 
Yeah. And, and we knew this early on because of the loss of taste and smell. Right there, right off the bat, you're like, ooh, this is neurological symptoms. You know, you don't see that with influenza. Yeah. So, so the blood, because it's a blood-borne yeah, pathogen, it, it goes everywhere. to the... It's okay. everywhere. And so that, that's one reason, I think, is that it's, it's really attacking blood vessels anywhere. But the second thing is it seems to be an inflammatory syndrome that you have. So it starts this... Um, it's not, they used to, at first we thought it was maybe called cytokine storm. It doesn't seem to be quite that, but you have this inflammatory, hyper-exaggerated um, inflammatory response. And inflammation, especially this kind of inflammation, is just really bad for you overall. I mean, inflammation is what causes clogged arteries. Most people don't realize that, but that's an, actually an inflammatory response. It's not the cholesterol itself that ca causes a plaque. Those plaques are made of white blood cells that are attacking the, uh, huh. the walls of the, of the cell, of hmm. the blood vessels. So, the point is that this is, you have a long-term inflammatory response. You get muscle aches, you get headaches, um, you have digestive symptoms, you have fatigue, uh, and of course the shortness of breath. That seems to be lung scarring, but there's also scarring of the heart that occurs in long, these long haulers, um, which you don't really see with almost any other respiratory illness. One study said there were 62 different maladies that she had counted based on this. There's, wow. a, there's, a, there's a Facebook uh, private page with over like 10,000 people who are long haulers okay, or chronic COVID. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're sharing their stories. Probably it's really crazy. But I mean, if we started listing all of the, mm -hmm. the maladies that they have, I mean, you got COVID toe, we got brain yeah. fog. Um, I mean, it, it goes on to fatigue. headaches, chest yeah. pain, numbness of the arms bloating, you know, not, not being able to go to the bathroom, the yeah. loss of smell and taste, all, all of that. I yeah. mean, this is new to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. This has not been seen before. Okay, just breaking into our conversation here with scientist Nathan Lentz. My sister, Barbara Zweig, and longtime friend Melanie Bean had COVID-19, and so I asked them to compare their experiences. Hi, Melanie, how are you? Nice Thank you. Nice to see you as well. It's been years. <laughs> I know. How are you feeling? Well, I'm fine. I'm much better. I mean, I um, I was diagnosed on September 23rd. When were you diagnosed? March 16th. Oh, so this was earlier on. Yeah. And so what was your experience? I, I was shocked by no symptoms ahead of time. Uh -huh. I was fine on a Monday afternoon. I had a meeting uh -huh. and suddenly I thought uh, I couldn't keep my balance in the hall. I'd been walking all over the city, took the train in from Long Island and I went in and I thought, this is really strange. Maybe I'm wind burned because it was a cold afternoon and I got really hot and really red. Two days later, I called the doctor and she said, we can't do anything. You can't come in unless you can't breathe. I stayed home and I kept my partner away because I didn't want Ira to get it. I didn't know that I was very sick, but I had terrible body aches. I took several hot showers a day because my back was aching so badly. So it ran in two weeks. That was the whole first segment of it. Was it better for you? Better for me because, because of the time I had it. I had it six, seven months later than you. Very easy for me to just go in, pop in, take a test. At least my doctor could give me some things to help me. There was just things we had learned in that six or seven months. You probably weren't as scared as I was because you didn't have as much information. Did you feel the fog, what they call the COVID fog? Yes. That's why I didn't know I was so sick. I didn't have any trouble breathing, which was, to me, going to be the scariest thing because that would definitely mean hospitalization. I think it's because I had so much information. By the time I got it, which was less than a month ago, many people had died. 
I was so afraid of having to go to the hospital and not be and being there totally alone. That just really scared me. Yes. I had several symptoms that followed. The lungs were fine, but I developed a, what they call a skin manifestation of it. Something between the measles and poison oak all over my chest, which was awful. That lasted two weeks. Then that went away and I had a few little neurological things. I kept tripping over my tongue. I kept like having trouble talking a little bit. Felt a little absent-minded, a word recall. That went away over the next month and a half. I had a few neurological things with my hands, which really worried me as far as piano goes, but uh, I had trouble with my handwriting. It wasn't a tremor. It was, wait a minute, how many loops is that? I look back and the things that I wrote in April looked strange. Good thing it wasn't an absentee ballot. <laughs> I did lose my sense of smell and taste. That all came back in the first month, feeling like I was really coming out of the woods. And then my hair changed and it went, I lost my shine and it started falling out, really falling out. I didn't hear of this as a symptom. So I was really frightened. Like now I have a disease on top of COVID. That's when I went to the doctor. She gave me an antibody test. She said, no, it's COVID. She said, I'm seeing a lot of women who are losing their hair. She said, don't worry, it'll grow back. The process of losing it was two months, hair everywhere. That was terrible. Shampoos were so sad. I felt very, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, and you probably felt more than I did. I felt very alone in it. You know, there would be hours during the day where I was just alone. I was alone at night. I was, you know, I would call my friend at like four o'clock in the morning because I'd wake up with terrible headache and just scared just really scared because I couldn't breathe, checking my oxygen and stuff. I was hallucinating. I, w I was sitting there in some kind of altered state. I was watching TV and then I looked up at my wall unit. And I thought, oh, it's changing shape. It's getting smaller. And then I would take a shower and I would dry my ears. And I think, oh, that's where the ear is with this kind of newness about it. And I thought, oh my God, is this dementia? It, it well, scares me. The whole thing scares me. I think I was in denial a lot. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know where I got it. Yeah, I mean, does not bother you though? That bothers me a lot. It really weighed on me for a long time. Like, and I, and I would I have gotten it. And where did I spread it? Because right. I had right. no symptoms until 100% sick. Yeah. No sniffles, no cough. I have heard uh, that, you know, some people suffered organ damage. Uh, do we need to be vigilant and see the doctor more often to get our heart and kidneys checked? It was nice talking with you. Not, I'm so, you look great. You really do. Well, thank you. So yeah. do you. Well, thank you. you know, we got through it. Now, back to our BCR conversation with genetics expert Nathan Lentz. And so, I mean, I, I guess, I, yeah, why, I, why I think, so many? I think 90% of them, uh, this is just a ballpark number, are inflammatory syndrome related yeah. to the inflammatory response. And the other 10% are damage caused by the, the virus itself. Um, but that leaves long-term consequences. Right. So well, how long is the long-term consequence? When we talk long-term, we, we yeah. don't know yet. You're we don't know yet. You're shrugging your shoulders. You we know. just don't know yet. It sounds There's... like it's a wrecking ball. Yes. And so some tissues repair themselves and are fine. So, I, I mean, the lung scarring itself will, will probably go away. Like, I think most people's lungs will return. Uh, lung tissue turns over. Um, but a lot of tissues in your body don't turn over, particularly neuro, nerve tissue does not turn over. So a lot of the neurological symptoms may not reverse. Um, you know, we just don't know. The, the COVID toes that people talked about is probably circulatory, so it's from blood vessel damage. Um, and the breathlessness. 
Yeah, so that's that's probably just straight lung damage, but then um, the fever, because people have intermittent fevers. So I was sick for about three weeks, but I had those intermittent fevers for another two weeks, where just all of a sudden I'd run a fever for about an hour in the afternoon. That's certainly inflammatory. Uh, there was no COVID left, but the inflammatory, you know, my immune system took a long time to just settle back down. And our, we think of our immune system as awesome, and of course it saves our lives daily, but it also is so prone to going overboard. I mean, that's what allergies are and, and autoimmune diseases. And, um, and just generalized inflammation is very bad for you. I have this image of, of the immune system, like where they're throwing their hands up in the air yeah. going, oh my God, oh my God, he's being attacked again. Exactly, and then, and just then, running and around then, crazy and, and then causing throwing, damage. Then throwing everything at it. Right. Because right. I heard that the immune system, it actually kicks up two parts of the immune system. Mm -hmm that then start attacking the body too. Yeah, that's right. And so these small molecules are cytokines and complement proteins. What they do is they just warn the rest of the body that danger is afoot. Um, and that sounds like a good thing, except for, as we know, it's, it's not. <laughs> because an exaggerated immune response leads to diseases of all kinds, um, especially cardiovascular problems. And so, um, yeah, these long haulers, I, we just have to watch and follow them and see you know, what it takes. Yes. And also, they're still learning how to treat them. You notice the most effective... Um, drug that's used in, in, in that has really made the difference. By the way, steroids you, are the steroids. That's uh -huh. right. And so you've noticed that the death rates have gone way down since March and April because we, we have learned a thing or two on how to treat at least the most serious patients. Uh, we're not going to see the number of deaths, at least as a function of, of the total uh, number of sick individuals. We, we, we've done that. And it's steroids. What is what? Well, steroids don't help with a virus. Steroids have nothing to do with the virus. Steroids inhibit your immune system. Uh, uh, so oh. that right there is our first clue that a lot of the damage is due to our own body going crazy trying to fight this. Yeah, because I take a steroid for asthma, mm -hmm. like a regular steroid thing, in order to stop that immune the yep. system that causes yeah. the Yeah, which asthma. one do you take? Um, uh, it, uh, it, uh, it, Covar, Cuvar. Okay, okay. That's, yeah. that's a trade name, so I'm not sure which... Um, it's, it's an inhaler. Yeah, okay, got it. Okay, so um, this is different. It's dexamethasone that we're using with uh, COVID patients, but um, for the most serious one, it probably would have saved my, my uncle's life, but we don't know. You don't, you know, I don't know. It wasn't used back then uh, in the early phase. But, um, so I don't think we're going to have as many deaths, thankfully, but we'll, how many of these long haulers we'll have in our population, who knows? Right. This uh, COVID-19, which is a SARS-type mm -hmm. disease, mm -hmm. is there anything that's, uh, that's similar to it? Like, I know my mother had polio, mm -hmm. which is an infection, yeah. right? Uh, I don't know if it's the same thing, but she, she uh, suffered from it her whole life. Right. So polio is that it does uh, the nerve damage and the nerves don't come back. So, that's, so polio's long-term effects are just because the cells that get affected are not replaceable. So, so in, in a sense, it's very, very different in why it causes long-term damage. As far as in fact, know, it got worse as she got older. Right, right. Because, I mean, we, we're all sort of degenerating anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when you, when, yeah, when you lose, <laughs> uh, you know, some of those motor neurons, you know, that can't be replaced, and then you compensate best you can, and, and then you lose the ability to do that as you age. So, yeah, polio does. But the actual virus, she had cleared from her body long before. Right. Uh, right. And it wasn't inflammatory either, uh, at least not the long-term uh, effects. So... So this, I, I'm trying to think of what's a good, there's really not a good equivalent. Syphilis? No, so syphilis is bacterial, and okay. that's due to d the direct action. Like, and, and those are, um, when someone goes blind for, from syphilis, for example, that, that bacterium is still at it. 
you know, at the time. It stays there. Yeah. And so as soon as antibiotics, you know, were developed, syphilis stopped causing those long-term problems. So mm -hmm. you can have syphilis for a year or two before you have anything serious. Right. As so, long as our, our, our antibacteria is hold up. Well, that's the other thing the is other that thing, yeah. we're, uh, we're not too many decades away from a post-antibiotic future, as, right. as some have called yeah. it. Uh, that's topic for another podcast, but it's, uh, it's, it's a danger that's staring us down. But that also is due to our failure to long-term plan because theoretically speaking anyway, it would be very easy to avoid antibiotic resistance by just simply taking classes of antibiotics off the market for years at a time and saying these are just not allowed except for in emergencies. And, and then you can use them later. And yeah, and you have a cycle. Mm -hmm. But right. But right, that right. would benefit some companies over others, and so we don't do it. And right. Yeah, we get back to capitalism, which yeah, yeah. is the, which is yeah. the big right. virus in our world. Um, so I wanted to ask a question, though. Is this enormous variety of long-term outcomes um, unusual for a coronavirus? Yes, it's unusual for any viral infection, yes. Yes, right. this, is, this is, we're seeing this as a particularly nasty bug in, in all ways. Yeah. And you had, you, had talk, you had talked to us in uh, August Mm -hmm. about the ACE2 mm -hmm. receptors. And this, uh, this particular form of coronavirus attacks those. And mm -hmm. we have these receptors all over our bodies. That's right. So is that a connection to? Yes. So that's, that's a big difference between uh, COVID and flu, for example, is influenza attaches by the hemagglutinin receptor, which is much less uh, pervasive throughout your body. But ACE2 is in almost every cell of your body, some more than others. And in fact, the, if you look at the, where ACE2 receptors are, you can track the worst symptoms of the early COVID symptoms, like the acute phase of COVID. So gastrointestinal system, the, of course, the respiration and circulation. So, um, but after a few weeks, you've cleared the virus. And so then the symptoms are because of the immune system. So you kind of have like two phases of symptomatology. The, the other um, symptom uh, that happens is a thing called brain fog. Yeah. Uh, our son Harry is studying brain science at University of Maryland. Interesting. So I went to him uh -huh. <laughs> to kind of figure And he told me today that the, um, the, the, the brain system, I don't know what you call the brain system, you know, <laughs> is separated from the rest of the systems for a purpose so that there isn't this cross, yeah. the virus doesn't cross over to the brain. But yeah. there's been studies that says that this COVID virus has been found in people's brains. Potentially can, yeah. So the blood-brain barrier, blood barrier is just designed to keep our brain insulated from all the toxins that we are just, you know, bombarded with daily. I'm going to have another glass of beer here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of toxins, right? <laughs> but the, um, so the blood-brain barrier is great for that, but it's not perfect and it's porous. Obviously, it's porous because um, there are plenty of molecules that we ingest that do affect our, our brain. And, uh, like alcohol. Yeah, and, and viruses are very, very, very small. Very, very, very small. So they're bigger than, you know, individual molecules, of course, but they're, they're very big or they're very small. And so, um, I'm not with the brain fog. I'm not sure if it's because of the virus itself. I, I would I'd be skeptical of that claim. I think it's more of inflammatory. The, the other claim is that there is the smell receptors in our brain or mm -hmm. whatever is that tells us we smell and that maybe it's attacking those. Yeah. So I don't think we know that yet. Well, actually I, I should say, I know we don't know that yet. Um, I don't think it's a direct action of the virus, but it's, it's certainly possible, especially since it is, it does happen in the acute phase. Yep. It doesn't, it, it, it can last in the long-term phase, but it's definitely in the acute phase. So we just, we just don't know. Okay. I, I, I have two more questions mm -hmm. and then I'll let Becky get to hers. Sure. sure. Um, Cause I've been reading about this since getting ready to talk to you is the uh, MR, the, uh, the virus, the coronavirus is made up of MRNA strains. It's a really long one. Yes. Extremely long. I mean, longer than any other, right? Is there some factor in the length of this and the complexity of it 
that makes it more dangerous than other um, SARS viruses? That's a good question. I don't know if there's a relationship between the size of the genome, the, le- the length of the RNA molecule, and severity of disease. I don't know the answer okay, to that. Okay, okay, um, all right. Um, it's possible um, just simply because it'll have more complexity to it, genetic complexity. Yeah. Um, that's certainly possible. Um, it's like I'm making this stuff up as from a total non-scientific place, but I've also read that the coronavirus also has, um, it like it, um, it, 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 um, it's like different viruses. It's like it does different things. Uh, it's not just one virus. It seems to have different Well, I effects. think that's what you've been talking about well, because yeah, it affects so, so many different parts of the body. Right, yeah, exactly. So a virus has very little machinery of its own, Yeah. right? It's just essentially some instructions. Um, and so when it comes to life is when those instructions get in a cell. Yeah. And so a lot of what the virus becomes depends on the cell that it's in at that time. And so the viruses that are in the respiratory epithelia, for example, um, you know, they're different and it's going to have a different effect on that cell than the viruses that come out of circulatory epithelium, et cetera. So there's, and, and, and muscle cells even. So that can have some change in how it works. But what we know is that the way it gets into the cell seems to be the same. And that's really helpful because that gives us a target. Almost all vaccines against viruses like this are targeted for their, the step at which they enter the cell. Okay. There seems to be a psychological uh, problems with, with this that maybe are different than other viruses. Is that, is that part of the symptomology that's going on? They're still trying to dissect that out. So I've, I've read one study. The problem is that there's so many other factors at, at the same time. We're all in a weird psychological state right Absolutely. now, right? Yeah. Because the world's on fire. We're stuck in our homes for the most part and things like that. So it's, it's, and, and if you've had the disease, you're feeling it more acutely, just the regular. So the problem is dissecting that from how you would have felt just under normal. That's hard enough. Um, so they're going to have to do more studies on that, but it definitely, those who have long-term COVID have anxiety, depression. Um, and we're even seeing, of course, as we predicted, uh, the effects in, in suicide rates and, and, and suicide attempts, um, due to long-term isolation, really? social isolation. Yeah. Right. They're, they've gone up like, like everyone predicted they would. So huh. the, um, and, and what's, is the virus making people more susceptible to depression and on like a physiological sense? Or is it the psychological effect of having yeah. a disease that other people are dying of? I mean, is it and being in, in isolation to at me, the same time. To and me, it seems quite reasonable time. to be depressed right now. That, I mean, it's, it's like weird you're not, not crazy. To be. It's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, You'd it's be a weird normal not state. to be. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. We're all in a, and in fact, I, just yesterday I got an email from a student with all these excuses of why his proposal wasn't in on time. And I told him, I said, none of us are at our best right now. No, nobody's at our best. Some are very far from our best. And so, um, you know, give yourself some space. Try not to fall behind, but give yourself some space and, and do some self-care and step away from the things that are, that are stressors because the whole world is a stressor right now. Um, and that's what we need to, we're never going to get the will to, to solve any other problems until we get, can get through this. Yep, yep. So if this is a disease that, um, affects, that affects our body in such a way that our um, immune response becomes triggered in a way that's damaging to us. Aren't there other diseases that are like that? Uh, yes, actually. There are, um, there are many diseases that are, their hallmark feature is, is an exaggerated immune response. Um, and I'm trying to think of what's the best parallel to this. Um, lupus. Lupus is um, essentially a disease of the immune system. 
And it's a particularly weird one because it's the immune system attacking itself. So the immune system attacking the immune system. Um, so I think maybe lupus might be one. And Mononucleosis? Mon yeah, so mono is a, a virus. It's caused by Epstein-Barr virus, and it affects the immune system as well. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's all these parallel... Lupus, we don't know what causes it, actually. A lot of people think it is triggered by a, a virus infection. Um, but even, even type 1 diabetes, people think, might be caused by a virus infection that then triggers an immune response in the pancreas, and you lose huh. you know, the beta cells. So there's... You know, the immune system is being blamed for a lot of things nowadays, but uh, usually these hypotheses turn out to be correct. Mm. Um, that immune system is our, our best friend and our worst enemy. And part of that is that we are now living in, in just on top of each other. These are not the conditions that we evolved in. Our immune system evolved for us to live outdoors in fairly small groups. Um, and so, you know, infectious diseases didn't come around that often and they didn't spread like they do. And if they did, they went through, everybody got it once and we're done. You know, you didn't have these circulating pandemics. That just wasn't a thing for millions of years of our history. And now suddenly we have to contend with it. So I think we can give our immune system a break and say it wasn't designed to, uh, right. yeah. to deal with all of, of this. So I uh, have, I guess the last question I have to ask about this um, disease is that what do you think is important for us to know? Now? Mm -hmm. um, that... Um, a, a, a happy end is in sight if we all do the right thing, and it's going to be harder than ever to do that during the holidays. But to to stay away from other people as much as you can uh, until the vaccine starts to come on board. And, and don't um, go to bars. Don't go to bars. Don't. <laughs> well, we have the yeah. whole floor here. So, yeah, and yeah. We're, we're still in our masks. Yeah, I think Epper's been pretty good. They've I been, do. I do. They've been pretty good. They've been and, and there are things you can do, and that's the thing is, uh, you know, the people who are really upset that things are closing back down. A lot of the things that, that they're restricting, we sh shouldn't have been doing in the first place. So, um, but, you know, the public, we live in, in the real world and the public has a will of its own. And so, you know, if public health scientists just had their way, we would have never been able to have some of the liberties that we have had lately because um, the public has a say in, in it, unfortunately, or, or, or fortunately, however you want to look at it. And so um, compliance is part of the equation. Yeah, um, everyone and, get in the game. And we don't have a very socially minded public right now in yep. this country. Yep. Um, it's a very much, uh, I'm on my own and I feel fine. And if I get it, it's no big deal. And that's not the way you should be thinking about it. You're putting on your mask is you are protecting people that you've never met um, who are vulnerable and who are, or who are nurses. Uh, that's who you're protecting when you put on that mask. Um, but people think they, you can't mandate caring about other people is, is generally the mindset. And, and we're all wearing our masks. Yeah, yeah. This is Bar Crawl Radio Podcast, recording at Gepard's Beer Culture Bar on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And we are talking with science researcher, writer, and explainer, Nathan Lentz, <laughs> interpreter, about how the those about how those affected with COVID nineteen could experience long term health issues for months and maybe for years, but there is another topic mm -hmm. that we want to um, expound upon. Or see if you can explain to us. Yeah. Because it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. So these two big drug companies are close to having a COVID nineteen vaccine approved by the FDA, and um, this has been the quickest quickest vaccine development ever, and it was accomplished using a new mRNA CRISPR technique? Right, so an mRNA vaccine, by the way, this doesn't exist yet. Uh, there hasn't been any mRNA vaccines that have been approved for, for wide use. They've been studied for a while. So this is interesting because generally, if you wanna have a vaccine, 
to a virus. You can either use a dead virus, you know, you, you grow up a big batch of the virus in the lab and then kill it with heat or something, and then you deliver it, or you grow up a slightly weakened version of the virus, or you can get the protein, the spike protein itself, purify it and inject that. There's lots of strategies. All right, um, all right, spike protein. The spike protein is the part of the COVID, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that actually binds the ACE2 receptor and then gets brought into the cell. All right, so it's the part that connects but doesn't have the RNA. Right, it's a protein. So it's, it's a protein on the surface of the virus that binds, it's the sticky part that binds to a cell. Those and then sticky the cell looking little nobules. Yeah. But it doesn't have the dangerous part. It doesn't cause the disease itself, right? Right, right, right. right. But it's just its, it's way of getting in. It's the key. And if you think about HIV, actually, all the medications now that have been so successful at keeping HIV at bay, same thing. They go after the processing of that protein that helps get this, this into the cell. Okay. It's not called spike protein in that case, but same idea. Okay, so MR, So the problem is if you, if you want to make a dead virus or the protein or whatever, you have to grow it up in the lab with, the, with a biological means. And... You're, you have safety issues, you have to purify it. Um, the virus could revert and become active. There's lots of problems. In fact, the po there were some cases of polio when they were using the weakened virus that it mutated back into its virulent form. And, and some people who were vaccinated for polio in Africa actually developed polio. Oh my God. Um, it, very few considering how many lives were saved, but it was still an important lesson learned. So here the idea is what if we give the instructions for making the spike protein? So don't give this protein itself give the instructions for building the protein and let our own cells make the protein. So the, vi the vaccine gets injected into your muscle and it has the instructions for building the spike protein. So then what does in the RNA? muscle do? In an RNA. And that's called messenger RNA, mRNA. Wow. wow. And so the muscle cells then start to make the spike protein because they just receive instructions and they do what they do, which no. is make proteins. <laughs> exactly. They, they don't know that it's a virus protein and not a human protein. It's just instructions. Instructions are instructions. It's the universal genetic code. And so your muscle cells, and, and what's great about the mRNA is that it can do it for a while. So you do the injection, your muscle, until that mRNA degrades, except for several days, your muscles just pumping out that protein. So you can give what is essentially a huge dose because you're making it your body's making it and it's pumping out this protein and then you're d developing antibodies against it and you're fighting it. Even though it's not an actual virus, your body just, anything foreign will be attacked, right? So you get this foreign protein made by your own cells and you get a nice immune response. There's no, no danger of getting COVID from the vaccine because it's not the virus. You're just getting- It's, it's just it's, the protein. But it's you are just instructions little, for the protein. And yeah. you are gonna feel a little sick because your immune system is kicking um, in, well, giving it's you a fever. Actually, I, I, we have to, it, it's gonna be less so than you would for a, a dead virus or an attenuated virus. That's what they, attenuated is the, the weakened version. It's gonna be less than that. Okay. Um, you will have an immune response, but you know, if you get a flu shot, for example, some people have you know, run a fever that night and don't feel great. I don't get anything from a flu shot. I never I, feel I, I, neither. I, yeah. I, I get sick, um, yeah. But it, this should be less than that. Um, wow. It, and um, can I say this is brilliant? What is? The I idea? mean, the way, the way you described it first, oh. that's, that well, was brilliant. You. I mean, I, I, I get it now, <laughs> Yeah. I think. But just that, why didn't we think of this before? Um, well, so, oh, that's a, okay. So let me explain. <laughs> There's been two breakthroughs that has allowed this possible. One, mRNA, which are the instructions of building a protein is very uh, fragile. Labile is to use the chemical word that we use, labile, meaning short-lived. It has to be kept very cold if you're gonna, you know, there's just, it's just not a very sturdy molecule. But there was a breakthrough, I think it was 2004, 2005, of how it can be packaged to make it much more stable. 
so that we can actually put it in a syringe and inject it. mRNA is so fragile that when we work in it in the lab, like we have to do things like quick, get that on ice, move it quickly. I mean, it's really. Yeah, why fragile. does it have to be so cold? Because it's just so fragile. Oh, and wow. the so this the, slows down its deterioration. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a refrigeration to avoid spoilage. It's that same concept, but on a much faster time scale. So the atoms aren't bumping up against each other so much? Yes. So the actual reason is that there are enzymes everywhere called RNases that destroy mRNA. They're looking out for mRNA to destroy it, and they're everywhere. This room is covered in those. Ooh. I know, because whenever I do... Wait, there's MRNA one right there. I see it. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, that's right. And so they... But if you keep things cold, they don't, they're not active. Oh. Uh-huh. But, the, but the breakthrough in 2004, 2005 was to package the mRNA so that it would be more stable. So that, that was one breakthrough. Um, the other breakthrough was the delivery and tricking your cells into taking it up. And that's up. CRISPR? Uh, no, so CRISPR was just how the instructions were made. I see. So it's a much faster way of genetic engineering. CRISPR is like genetic engineering overnight kind of thing. Nice. Um, so CRISPR was used for the genetic engineering. But the delivery to the cells, that was a huge breakthrough too because previous attempts to trick our cells to taking up mRNA had either failed or had caused reactions. And so there's been a breakthrough in delivery too. So now we have mRNA that is stable and can be delivered to your cells. And then when the cells receive this mRNA, it's just an instruction book, a very small instruction book to build a protein. They start building the protein, pumping it out, and it goes everywhere in your body and your immune system fights it. And then when you actually see the virus, you already have antibodies to that spike protein. The spike protein gets covered in antibodies, and so it basically just bounces off the cells instead of attaching and, and infecting. So right. these, these, this path that you're talking about, these discoveries, was this the way that all of the different scientists, scientific groups w- that were looking for the vaccine, did they all go in the same direction? Or? Yes, so the, the move towards mRNA vaccines is many years old. So, and since these other breakthroughs I was telling you about, vaccine researchers have been wanting to go this way for a while. And then this year with Operation Warp Speed, which was the huge investment and the promise, the big, the big difference, and this is one thing I guess Trump could take credit for, was to say, um, anybody who develops a vaccine, we're going to buy a minimum number of doses, whether it works or not, millions of them, um, just to incentivize them to do it. Because these companies, you know, they're hurting like everybody else, or they were. They can't, they're not going to make a vaccine unless they think they're going to be able to sell it. And so to guarantee that they, we would buy a minimum number of doses, that was the right thing to do. Say, we're going to buy 10 million doses or whatever the number was, whether it works or not, as long as you, you know, make an effort. And so all these companies had nothing to lose. So, of course, they all did it. And now we're finding they're all coming board right around the same time. Right. And it's going to be great because we can even release them all and see which one works best and different. I mean, I'm hoping by early January, you know, uh, it's going to be delivered to high, high uh, wow. danger areas. So they're going to go where the outbreaks are and where the most vulnerable people are. And that's and then it'll roll out from there. So, we, so, so what was funny to me though is that um, Pfizer came out and they said their their vaccine was ninety five percent effective, and then the, I forget the name of the other one, Meta something group came out and yeah. said it was ninety nine percent or something like that. No, it was ninety percent, and, and then, then, then it was ninety five. And then Pfizer, Pfizer said like, ninety five. Yeah, I mean, what, what's that about? <laughs> is that true? How, um, can, we, can we trust them? Yeah. So, I mean, some of that's. Um, so you got to understand that they're getting more data basically every day because they have thousands of individuals yep. enrolled in these studies. And so every other, every day that goes by, the data gets a little more solid, um, especially as, and this is tragic in a sense, but especially as people who, who were in the placebo group get the virus, that's what gives you confidence in your numbers. So yeah. in the control or in the, uh, the control group, the placebo group, 
you know, a certain number of individuals got sick and in the actual virus or uh, actual vaccine group didn't get sick. They didn't. Very few individuals have gotten it. So it does seem to be much more effective than the flu vaccine ever has been. Um, and that's good. I mean, if we roll it out, that's it's it's way more effective than it needs to be for, to, to work, assuming it's safe. We right. think it's going to be safe. Every every indicator so far is that it's safe. And the mRNA technology itself is very safe. So the flu um, uh, development into the future is going to be mRNA. I yeah. hope so. Great, great. I hope so. And, if, and, and that's another good consequence of Operation Warp Speed is that we'll have sort of ramped up this system to make mRNA vaccines, and then we can now deploy it and for, for other things. Assuming it's safe, I mean, and that's the other thing, that's the downside of all this, is that we don't have multi-year studies on the safety of this. Um, we assume, and, and that's the advantage of mRNA too, is that it's so fragile that it does eventually go away. So we don't anticipate long-term consequences. Even if there's a problem. Yeah, there but is. there's lots of things that we didn't anticipate long-term consequences for, and there were, so it's... There yeah. you go. Yeah. Nathan, we said we would get you out by five. Are we there? And, it's, and, it's and we are there. Is there something we minutes, didn't ask you okay. that we should have asked you? Please. Now, is, there, is there a question that we should have asked you? Oh, oh, is there? Um, no, I think we covered most of it. Um, at the mRNA vaccine, the... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an instruction, basically instructions for building the spike right. protein. Right. And our cells, any cell in your body, as long as you get the mRNA into it, will follow those instructions. That's just what cells do. Uh, no, we're we're yeah. going to follow. Yeah. They don't know what it is. And in fact, the virus takes advantage of that. It's kind of like that dumbness. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Program. You put in the code, it'll spit something out. So in this case, it's spitting out the spike protein. Um, and what I'm worried about is that resistance to vaccine. So it's compliance again. And that will be the Achilles heel of this whole system is will people take this vaccine? I think that's our next show. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have to do it January. on January. Yeah. On yeah. Nor- normally, I'm pretty, you know, irritated about at anti-vaxxers. In yeah, general. I know you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in this case, I mean, it's pretty reasonable to be leery about something that we don't have long term safety for. I mean, these things take 10 years normally to uh, of study yeah. uh, before we feel good about them. So it's a, I think it's understandable to be leery even though everything we know as of now says it's safe. Are you going to take the vaccine? As soon as it's available. Yeah, Um, I think I am. Yeah, my guess is I will not be in the first tier uh, or or second tier even because I'm not particularly vulnerable and I did have COVID before, so everyone's assuming I'm fairly resistant on my own. They want to get it to people who are vulnerable, who haven't had it, etc. So like an old man like me with asthma would probably... Yeah, assuming you never tested positive. Okay, no, I haven't. Yeah, right. so, so you're, you're probably a good, good uh, candidate to get it in the early phase. Nathan, you're making me feel good. Our city <laughs> is probably going into a new sort of lockdown as the pandemic seems to be raging again. Yeah. And so we took this window of opportunity to buy you a beer at a real bar, one of our favorite bars, Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar, and then maybe in the spring we'll be able to pull out of our hunkered down position and get back here at Gephardt's and, and, and clean glasses beer. again and celebrate the, the end of COVID times. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> and, beautiful. But I don't think we're going back to the world as it was before. I think some things will change forever. So we'll, we'll be done with COVID era, but we'll, in, we'll be in post COVID well, era. We'll see. That's a, a conversation <laughs> for another day. I think I that's look we'll forward see. to it. Absolutely. We absolutely. We want to thank Nathan Lentz once more for a wonderful conversation at Bar Crawl Radio. You can contact me, Rebecca McCain and Alan Winson at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. Be safe and hope to see you at a neighborhood bar in the spring.